You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, it's hard to believe that season two is almost coming to an end. It's not hard for me to believe. No. <laughs> All right. Well, that's I guess that's true. That's true. We've had some awesome guests. So this is, uh, I think, episode 11. We'll have one more episode next week. It'll just be Shank and Wayne analyzing pamphlets that we've just, that we've uh, covered this season. And we're actually going to probably make decisions to keep or scrap them, kind of like we do. <laughs> Slogan. So uh, stay tuned for that for that episode. Also, we are um, we're quickly approaching 700 followers. So we uh, on Instagram. So we appreciate the support there. If you have questions or or uh, need anything from us, you can contact us at freedom at alcoholicsalive dot com. And we also take messages through Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter. All right. How about <laughs> that? We're Twilight, as my sponsor says. Are you on the Twilight? Uh, hey, we've got a great guest uh, today. Uh, our guest is Debbie. Debbie, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Debbie. All right. Uh, so uh, my name's Debbie. I am an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is June 19th, 1988. Um, I live in whoa. Wilmington, North Carolina. What? <laughs> I said, whoa, you're coming up on a sobriety day. We, we're not going to yeah. front today, so we're not going to congratulate you yet. No, don't. Please don't. No. <laughs> I can't All celebrate right. ahead. No. All right. Um, so uh, a little bit about me. I, um, I'm originally from Dayton, Ohio, and um, I don't know. I, uh, my family is just kind of an average middle-class family, mom and dad brother, two sisters, and um, I had a great childhood, but I was just always full of fear. I just remember being um, totally consumed with what everybody thought about me and um, could never really enjoy my childhood or enjoy being in my own skin. And until I started drinking, I just never knew really kind of what was wrong with me or what was, you know, why why I felt different and even though I I seemed to appear normal and I had friends and was involved in activities and stuff. But once I started drinking, it was like I found the secret to um, my self-centeredness, I guess is what it was. And all of this is kind of looking back on it at the time. At the time, I would have just told you it was who my friends were, where I lived, who my family was. Those were the things that were wrong with me. But um, after that first drink, it was like, oh, my God, I found the answer to all my problems. And I could – talk to people. I was funny. I was pretty. I was popular. And um, I don't know, alcohol just did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And um, once I started drinking, uh, I was only 16, but I was a blackout drinker from the very beginning. And around the same time, I got my driver's license. So I was drinking and driving at the same time from a very early age. And I'm not proud of that, but it was, that's just what I did. And uh, alcohol made all my decisions for me, who my friends were going to be, what my activities were. Uh, my schoolwork went down the hill. I barely graduated from high school. Um, my goal after high school, everybody was planning on uh, going to college or doing things. I was planning to go to Myrtle Beach for a week. You know, that was like my goal <laughs> after high school. And I did, and I had a great time and came back and got involved with someone who drank more than I did. And I don't know, it was just like the same thing over and over and I only drank for eight years, but um, for me, the um, the alcohol filled that hole in myself. Like, I, I was raised Catholic. I would go to church, but what was the point of going to confession? Because I was just going to do things that night that I'd have to confess the next day. So, I don't know. It just – I had no moral compass once I put alcohol in my body. And um, I knew that I reacted differently than my friends when I drank, but I wasn't able to stop. It was like not drinking – was um, it was just not even an option. It was going to be go to a different school, move, find a different uh, boyfriend. You know, all these things on the outside were what I thought I had to do to fix myself. And 
after my uh, second DUI, you know, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> the first one wasn't enough. After the second one, I did go to AA, and um, I don't know. I just remember thinking, sitting around with these people, like, oh, my God, these people are losers, <laughs> you know. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work a step. I wasn't ready, and, and I did drink again. And then after my third DUI, I was really scared of going to jail or prison. And so going um, going to a treatment center again, I went to an outpatient treatment center. But the thing about going to treatment is you eventually have to join the real world. You know, you can't just live in treatment, although I think there are some long-term treatments you can go to. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I went to outpatient treatment, and there was a place in Cincinnati uh, called Oak Street, and I could walk there after school and, and go to meetings there and get my paper signed. And because, uh, of course, they treatment wanted you to go to meetings. And, um, you know, I just, again, I was in that jumping off place. It's like I didn't belong with my friends or family. I didn't belong with these AA people. And I just remember feeling really scared and sad and, and thinking, you know, what is wrong with me? I did not want to grow up to be an alcoholic, but I'd been sitting in enough meetings to hear what people were sharing to kind of think, oh, my God, I've got this thing, too. And so, um, I don't know, I finally made that phone call and, and asked somebody to sponsor No, that's a lie. I did not ask that person to sponsor me. I just <laughs> called that person. And the next day we met at, after the uh, 530 Big Book meeting, and she talked about what she did to stay sober, and she volunteered to be my sponsor. And I'm forever mm-hmm. grateful to that person. And so, you know, it wasn't until I actually uh, did anything in AA that I got any results in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, you know, so so pretty much what I've done for the past 35, 34 years and 51 weeks or whatever is what I did when I first got here, you know, mm-hmm. stay accountable to a sponsor and, and go to meetings. But meetings to me are not the, the program. The program is that one-on-one time with another alcoholic. And, 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 you know, we, you told me about this pamphlet, a member's eye view of Alcoholics Anonymous. And honestly, I've never read the pamphlet, but when I read it, I, it really spoke to me because he really described, and he only had 16 years when he wrote this pamphlet, and I think it was like the 1960s when he wrote it, but it really spoke to me because his experience was very similar to what my experience has been, and it's been that inward journey that I've had to take and and really get to that point between me and God for me to, you know, to hit a bottom in, in sobriety, and I remember at about five years sober, you know, if you had told me when I came in, the reason I was an alcoholic was because I got all these DUIs. Like, that was what made me an alcoholic. That's what made me a, a, a qualified to be here. But at five years, I had a new experience, and I realized it's exactly what's in uh, We Agnostics. Once I start, I can't stop, then I can't stay stopped for any length of time. And it's not about the, the outside things. That's, that's really what gets me. It's the inside the fear, this uh, hopelessness, you know, the delusion in, in my perception of things. I think that's the thing that I really loved about the pamphlet is just talking about that perception because I will find something wrong with every situation. And in Alcoholics Anonymous and working the steps with a sponsor has changed that. So I think I, I think that's okay. That's me. Thanks, <laughs> Debbie. It. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate that. Shank. Tell us a little bit about, Debbie already mentioned, but tell us a little bit about the the topic. So our pamphlet today is a member's eye view. And the member's eye view pamphlet, like Debbie has described, is a really great pamphlet. Um, It was written by someone that had 16 years sobriety, which I think is really cool because that's not too much longer than I've been sober and they're definitely not going to let me write any pamphlets anytime soon. So (laughs) I think that that's pretty great. Um, I'm going to read a part that just kind of hit me as you were speaking, Debbie. Um, And this is on page 14 in the pamphlet. And it says there is a widely held belief in AA that if a newcomer will simply continue to attend meetings, something will finally rub off on you. And the implication, of course, is that the something which rubs off will be the so-called miracle of AA. Now, there is no doubt in my mind that many people in AA accept this statement quite literally. I have observed them over the years. They faithfully attend meetings, faithfully waiting for something to rub off. The funny part about this is that something is rubbing off on them, death. They sit there week after month after year while mental, spiritual, and physical rigor mortis slowly sets in. 
I believe the real miracle of AA, the something that will rub off, we hope, is simply the alcoholic's willingness to act. Why he finally becomes willing, I hope to touch on later. Right now, let's turn our attention to what it is he becomes willing to do. And it goes on to talk about the willingness is to work the 12 steps. You know, um, kind of touches on here that it's not zooming back and forth to meetings and conferences and the general service office and everywhere else. Like, it's that one-on-one with an alcoholic. That's the way I understood it. So, members I view. Y'all should read it. Anything ever rub off on you, Debbie? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I I love that because it is his looking back over his 16 years of experience. And I love the idea that it's quality, not quantity. So, Mm -hmm. Shanky totally could write a pamphlet. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard you on these podcasts. Yeah, you could write a pamphlet. But, um, you know, because my sponsor was really big on not caring about how I feel. You know, it's not about how I feel. It's like, what are the actions that you're taking? But on the other hand... I can get really into activity and being busy and all that busyness. And I think that's kind of where I was. I was really involved in service. I was, uh, my sponsor got me into corrections. Like I was two weeks sober going to a prison meeting with her um, where I found out like this is where, where people go <laughs> when they have multiple <laughs> DUIs. It's like, oh, I belong here. And um, uh-huh. and so I was really active in, in service. And then we had a really active young young people's group in Cincinnati, Cincy Pond. So I was doing all those things, but there was still that hole was coming back and that feeling of like, I'm different or maybe this isn't for me. And, and it really took another good inventory. You know, that's just what I needed to do. I didn't have any – there was nothing from my childhood that I hadn't uncovered. There was nothing from my past. There were still moments I still hadn't made, but I needed to do a thorough clean, house cleaning, and that's where I realized that, like, you know, it's not about how many meetings I'm going to a week or a day. It's about what am I doing to treat my alcoholism through those steps. Yeah. And also, think? though, but I need to go to meetings so I can meet the newcomers that mm-hmm. I can take through the steps. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Yeah. What's your experience, Jerry? It, well, it's interesting because the, I mean, I'm a guy who's done a lot of AA activity. Um, I mean, from the very early on, I mean, I was I was taught. Sometimes when you hear people talk about the way their sponsor treated them, it's like the sponsor like forced you to do all this stuff, or they're like, "Hey, get over there, boy, and <laughs> clean clean that coffee pot." I don't think anyone ever talked to me like that. I. I was just shown what to do. So, so the, you know, going to meetings and sitting up and cleaning stuff and kind of getting involved and even going to like conferences and district meetings. I mean, I did all that and I think all that stuff, it definitely helped me. Um, it definitely got me involved and it got me through all that self-centered fear and God, I was scared to death just for years in AA even going to stuff like that, but I would, I would show up. Um, I think the, 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 the curious thing to me in the pamphlet is that he says, he's, he kind of implies that if you, you can do all that stuff, but if you've not actually taken the steps, this, this is actually, he did say this, you're just a guest in AA. And I, I guess we, Today, you, you probably wouldn't, couldn't say that in a meeting because people would think you're being insensitive or mean. Um, but I think he's, he's right on that, that the, the program is the steps. And I think the, the cool thing from, from my own experience is while I was doing all that activity, I was also taking the steps. I mean, I was a guy that was told early on that the solution was embodied in the steps and that if you don't take the steps, you're probably not going to recover and you're probably going to drink again. And so, my, I mean, my experience is I did both. I did fellowship and steps simultaneously, and it's it's worked pretty well for me. Um, he, <laughs> the, the other thing he says in there, you don't hear this much in a, it, it, you used to hear it a lot, like about the two-stepper. Debbie would remember that term. You may, I mean, you still hear it, I guess, sometimes, but you used to hear it a lot. You know, he's just a two-stepper, meaning that they, they kind of do the first step and the, the 12th step, 
And he talks about those members in there, and he says that, yeah, there's a lot of two-steppers in the fellowship. He says the funny thing is if they've never had a spiritual awakening, it's hard to do the 12-step. <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for for good members and good groups that I've been involved in that that tell me the importance of all that. The one thing I would say that I've seen a lot is that there are members that can't do a lot of that activity, and they think they're like missing something or like they're not fulfilling their obligation to the program, and that's not true. You don't have to. You don't have to show up at your home group two hours early and make coffee to stay sober and to be a good member. You don't have to go to every conference and every district meeting to be a good member, right? And and sometimes we kind of, I think, impress that on people that and you're doing something wrong if you didn't go to the dance last night. That's <laughs> that's not true. So what I do think, uh, though. As someone who has done a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was doing service, you know, similar to both of you, very early on in my sobriety. You know, I was a month in. I was days out of a treatment center doing service work. But then I wasn't able to, for a year, do anything except read the book, attend meetings when I could, and work the steps with other people. I really did feel like I missed out on things. And I, I've done a ton of service. I love it. I still do a ton of service. I'm still at the assembly, even though I don't have like a position or quote reason to be there. Um, I'm very interested in what's going on in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have the time, you know, uh, but that does not mean I may be more informed. I may be a more informed member of what is going on in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is good, which is good, but. You know, that could be being a trusted servant in my group to discuss to the people that can't be there for that. Like, hey, here's what's going on. Yeah. It doesn't mean that those people are any less sober than I am. I mean, I've been kicked off of the committee at the state level, you know, and I stayed sober. I didn't even think about drinking. I was like, well, okay, I guess I just, like, had too many ideas. They didn't kick you off. Your time was up. You rotated out. I have the email to prove it. Uh, (laughs) Well, and he talks about that in the pamphlet, though, like uh, not getting, like, AA is a bridge for Mm -hmm. us to participate in life and how we practice and and, uh, conduct ourselves at work and our family lives and other committees and and things that we're involved in outside of Alcoholics Anonymous and I know a, a couple of my sponsees are just getting involved in general service after raising their children, you know, and have now they have more time and they have that ability to be involved. And it's awesome to see, you know, how it doesn't matter if you're a week sober or, or 20 years sober. There's always time for service in AA. But but I don't think Bill intended this program for us to hide out in Alcoholics yes. Anonymous. Yeah. Something that I've always found interesting Me personally, I would much rather get kicked off of a committee in Alcoholics Anonymous and be able to learn what to do, what not to do, how to conduct myself in AA with people who ideally are trying to do the same things that I am and grow spiritually than go out and do that on a committee outside of AA. Because I've had the opportunity to, like, show up in my life with my family uh, which is very chaotic on other committees that have nothing to do with AA, on the HOA, like just different things where I know how to conduct myself. I can tell these people that I'm a recovered alcoholic, that I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and then I don't like show my butt in the meeting. Like I've already done that, learned what I needed to learn, grown spiritually, made amends, and then I can show up, you know, outside of AA with the same spiritual backing uh, that I've learned from you all. So I would much rather make a mistake, if you will, at my home group or anywhere in Alcoholics Anonymous than make the mistake outside of. Now, that certainly still happens, but. Yeah, it no doubt. Participation in uh, home group business meetings, district meetings, and on different committees it prepares us to, to to do everything, do a lot of stuff with business and with family and community. If you can survive that, you can survive anything out here. 
Well, I really feel like being involved in service helps you learn how to have a thick skin. And I've had to write more inventory on people that I've been on committees with and situations that have come up since I've been in service than, than even before. Like, it's just like that, oh, when you go through periods of time when you're not dating, like I'm married, but before when I was dating, like, okay, I'm not going to date anyone. Well, you don't learn anything Mm -hmm. when you're not in those relationships. So uh, being involved in service has actually helped me realize how much more I do need the steps. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Let me uh let me read something from the pamphlet here. I thought this was this was interesting. It says to every member of AA there comes a day admitted by some, kept secret by others, when he begins to ask himself a gnawing, troubled question. Sometimes the words are, is AA enough? Other times, the question takes a more fatalistic overtone. Is AA all there's going to be? And in still other instances, it comes out simply as, what now, little man, what now? There may come a day when one of these troubled souls reaches your desk or your office, and the reasons he gives you will be found among these. So, I know many of us have had those questions. Listen to these three responses he gives. Or let's let's go through the first one. It says, these are the reasons that people would give for that. AA is an organization of sick people, and I feel it is a handicap for me to be around them any longer. <laughs> Anyone, Debbie, you got any thoughts on that one? Oh, I love that. I lo- well, I hear that a lot from people that are on their way out of AA, and it, it's mm-hmm. just – I think we do get to a point where we think, is this all there is? Or, But for me, um, having my commitments and service and my sponsees, that it's just like, to me, it doesn't get old. And when I go through those periods, I there's probably some spiritual work I need to do. But again, I've never been to the point where I really honestly think I'm quitting AA. Or I'm, I've, I've thought about taking a break or like, oh, I don't need these service commitments or I'm not going to do this, but, um, yeah, I think it's, I think you hear that a lot. And there's so many other options today, like with social media, with the news, with, with everything that's going on in the world, there's a lot of things that people, you know, will question, but I don't know. I just haven't got to the point where I've actually considered it. Trank, what do you think about this one? Uh, well, you know, in the, it, it makes me kind of think of in the, I believe it's the general service rep, um, the GSR pamphlet, where one of the things it says in there is one of the signs of a healthy group is varying opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always think about that because the first time I read that, I was like, uh, I don't know. That sounds like a long business meeting to me. Um, and so when I think of this, I also think of co- committees, things that I'm doing in AA currently, where I just get so frustrated of people that, to me, are obviously very sick. That doesn't mean that I don't want to be around them. I get frustrated because I want to share um, Alcoholics Anonymous and my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous with these people who seem very closed off to anything other than the way they do things which is the wrong way, uh, according to the bylaws. But um, I just, I was a sick person coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, Yeah. you know, and I do go back to that thought of, like, people were very firm with me. They were very direct with me. They did not mince words. I mean, Jerry, you were saying earlier you don't think anyone, like, talked to you in a certain way. They did talk to me. In a certain way. And it was like, hey, sit down. Do not get up during this meeting. If you can't use the bathroom and get coffee and do whatever you need to do, smoke a cigarette before this meeting starts, you're not getting here early enough. That I could understand. Um, I was very spiritually sick at that time. So, you know, I don't think it's a handicap for me to, to be around them any longer. That just sounds like ego to me. Like, oh, I've reached this pinnacle of AA that now I can't be around anyone who's sick because I'm so well um, yep. that it's going to bring me down. 
I mean, if anything, being around someone who is like really in it, really just deep in the trenches, it reminds me of where I was and where I could be again. And it probably reminds me of things that I've done in sobriety even. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is why we should stay here. Exactly. If we've recovered, then it's our job to look behind us and help the person behind us. Well, if y'all didn't stay here to help me, I would be screwed. That's right. But I think the thing, what I thought about when I read that was I've had those thoughts. And so when I hear people say those things, it's my reaction isn't, oh, my gosh, you can't say that. It's like, yeah, I felt like that, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the the crux of what he was saying. This program makes it so powerful and spiritual is that we're sharing our experience. We're not yeah. saying you have to stay in AA. We're sharing what we've done. And yeah. if we if we say you can't have outside, get outside help, well, that's a tradition violation. We can't say that to newcomers. You can't take medication. Well, that's a tradition violation. Like so, so those things are like I've become more open-minded in my recovery. I don't know at 16 years if I would have been as spiritual as this guy. That's kind of what I was thinking too. <laughs> like I was probably more dogmatic and more like, no, it's all or nothing. Whereas the longer I'm sober, it's like, yeah, no, we're, this is just one program for people. It may not be for everybody. You get to decide. No one's making you stay here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's look at the next one. It says AA is always oriented to the newcomer. There's no way for the old timer to continue growing in it. What do you think, Bebot? Well, Debbie's the old timer in this, in this, <laughs> on this pod here, not me. Well, first I would tell him, write some some inventory. You need Mm -hmm. to put that through the columns and see, you know, what's your fourth column there? Because to me, it's really just about, like, poor me, poor me. I'm a victim. I'm not getting enough attention, that kind of thing. And and are you putting your hand out to newcomers? Are you talking to them? Come to my jail meeting with me. You'll really see what's important, you know. And, And for me, like, the newcomers teach me about myself. Over and over. So I guess, you know, it is all about the newcomer, but that's what strengthens my recovery. So I guess, you know, it's been working. Yeah. Yeah, I've never, I've, I've never felt this, this way here. I don't, I can't say I've ever thought that there's no way to grow in AA after you're, I don't know what they consider an old timer, but, um, I mean, it's important for old timers to stay around so the newcomers can get help. I mean, that's that's the twelfth step at work. So when I came in, an old timer was a my sponsor had a year sober. That was an old timer to me. Yes, I had two months sobriety. A year seemed like you go through all the seasons. What about New Year's? What about spring break? You know, like I'm thinking of like all these things in the future. That to me was an old timer. Yeah. Yeah, I read this one. It's, it's somebody just looking for a way out. I guess. To not participate or to get out of work. I don't know. Let's go. You want to go to the next one? I love this one. Shank's going to like this one. <laughs> AA is really a kind of subculture, and it can serve to shut you off from the mainstream of life. So, I've actually, I, there's some validity to this one. If you, I would say if you follow the wrong person or in the wrong group, because there are, I I am familiar with some groups of people and some groups in AA that, I mean, they are really like close knit and they don't do much outside of their group and they kind of scare people. And uh, I would say participating in life. Debbie mentioned earlier that we don't join AA to, to hide from life. Um, so, and I could see how new people coming in might form this, this opinion that, man, this is some kind of cult here. And, uh, man, they're telling me that it's a selfish program and that I got to change people's places and playgrounds and I got to not do this and do that. So I can, I can see how people would form that, that opinion or that perception. Um, for me, I, I mean, AA has, in, has introduced me to life. 
I mean, AA has, has helped me to, to participate in life and to really, I mean, experience things that I would never be able to experience if I had continued to drink or had died, obviously. Um, and it's quite the opposite. I think a lot of it has to do with who, who you, uh, I guess who you're associating with and who you follow and what group you're in. Yeah, for me, I, I thought I had to drop out of school and submerge myself in AA. And my sponsor's like, no, just keep going to school. And by applying the same um, actions that I did in AA to my schoolwork, I graduated from college. And, um, you know, I, I sat up front in class. I actually went to class. I didn't sell my books back for alcohol. I actually you right. know, participated. <laughs> I learned how to be a member of a committee and because of my work in AA. And, and then um, – I got to work in the film industry where I actually couldn't go to a meetings for six days. And on the seventh day, I could go to a meeting once a week and I would call my sponsor from out of town. And, you know, I was sober on that film set and um, I got to go to Africa and India and all these other places because of my sobriety, because I wasn't drinking my face off at a bar, you know, daydreaming about what my life could be like. So, yeah, like this that I did need to immerse myself and work through the steps, but it wasn't to just hide out. And Alcoholics Anonymous, it, it actually gave me opportunities I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Shank, what do you think about this one? Well, yeah, there are people in AA that are in the cult of AA. And that's something that I've just had to realize and accept over the years. And, like, that's okay. At one time, I was in the cult of AA, I would say. Like, I had very... You know, it was like you never miss your home group. Like, I would not go out to dinner with my family because it was on a Thursday night. And it may be that my family was only in town on Thursday. And I'd say, well, I can hang out with you earlier in the day or I can do something else. But, like, I have to be at my AA meeting. And that is certainly not, like, a bad idea, you know, but I was hiding out in AA. And I wasn't telling anyone um, at my job that I was a member of AA because of my anonymity. And, you know, like I couldn't tell anyone. And um, there were just several things that I was doing. You know, I would say, well, you have to do AA this way. And if you don't do it this way, you're not doing it right. You're not going to stay sober. And you're going to die. You know, like I was very um, – it was a, a brief period of time. But, like, I was I was in it. Um so uh, having had that experience, you know, being able to to kind of get out of that and and see that Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't shut me off from life, it opens up every door that I've ever really wanted to walk through. And it may not be, you know, I don't, I personally don't need to call my sponsor every day and say, well, what do I do next? What do I do next? What do I do next? Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me to go to God in prayer and to, yes, consult with people around me and talk to my sponsor about what is going on in my life. But I have a brain to use. Um, I don't have to be in like this, like, oh, well, I'm only doing service in AA, you know, so I'm not sponsoring anyone because like I'm doing this bigger thing in Alcoholics Anonymous where I've graduated from doing all the little peon stuff, you know, like now I get to do the real work. Um, so I'm so glad that like, I no longer kind of have that mentality, like it's tiered, uh, and, you know, being popular in AA, it being a subculture is an interesting way to frame it, I think, because in, in the group that I got sober, which in and around our little area here, you know, there are a few different kind of quote groups of people that have their old timer, if you will. And the group I got sober in, you know, had their old timer. And so I would go to like non-AA uh, events with that group. And then I met a, another group from old timer in Rocky Mount. And I would go to some of those things. And, you know, there's this guy down the street and I would go to some of his stuff. And it was just very odd the way people would talk about, oh, well, you went to that with those people. Like, that's not what we do in our group. And I don't think anyone meant anything like bad or negative or, you know, I, I, but it was very odd to me. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever I want. You know, I went to 
I went on the Bill Wilson cult tour recently to, you know, Clinton Street, to Stepping Stones, the Bill Wilson house, so all of that stuff. And it was so fun. And it was with a group of people that, like, I've never spent a ton of, ton of time with. It was just, like, a different group of people. Um, so I try to not get too into the people that I know and love and in their dogma, even though I agree, you know, I try to kind of keep my mind open and not get sucked back in to everything is my way. And if you're not doing it my way, you're doing it the wrong way. I can still think that. I still think some people are not approaching Alcoholics Anonymous correctly, but that doesn't make me right either. Yeah. Well, he kind of says some of that in the pamphlet, but he does it very uh, lightly and, I guess, kind of non-judgmental. Yeah. Might, might be a way to say it. I think AA actually is a subculture. Mm-hmm. I mean, to say we're a cult would be a stretch, but <laughs> but we are we are a, a we are a subculture of, I guess, mainstream society. Um. So I don't know. I I went to a group one time in another in another state and somebody had told me about it but I get there and all the guys I say all there were a lot of people at the at the group but the core membership all the guys were dressed in suit and ties no facial hair and the girls were in this is true the, this is acting the girls were all dressed in dresses or skirts and they were all sitting on like the front three rows and that that was what they were basically taught and or I was I don't know if they were forced to do that but that was part of that group's kind of structure was that you had to dress up in a coat and tie you couldn't have facial hair no piercings and you had to wear dresses and so things like that is what really I think it it turns people away from our program. I think I so think, too, but autonomy, which no, I can no, also sure. like really appreciate. So as irritated as I get about these things in AA, I'm like, oh, well, that meeting can do whatever they want, and I can go over here. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you, you tell people that if they go to a group and they didn't feel welcome because they have maybe a different lifestyle or a different color, go to another group. There are groups that actually try to follow the traditions, that try to be all inclusive. That, that, I mean, everything you like about AA is because of the traditions. Mm-hmm. Well, everything you don't like about AA is also because of the traditions. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that's good. There's and some so, shrapnel. Yeah. yeah, there's some shrapnel, but it's an accurate statement. And I, I just, I, I, well, anyway. There. Now we know the there. shrapnel is coming from you. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, we definitely are conjuring it up. Mm-hmm. He also in the pamphlet. I love this. It it probably should be read at conference and at the assembly. Keep in mind, this guy got sober in '52. He he gave this talk in '68. He says that when he's at an A meeting, he's not sitting next to a, a a Muslim or a Christian or a black person or Native American or a gay person or a, a male female. He, you, you can go in there. He says he's sitting next to an alcoholic, and. That if a group and an individual member is following the traditions, that's the attitude all of us should have. That we're here to help alcoholics. We don't, it doesn't matter what your other problems or your personality or lifestyle or, uh, religion or creed or, I mean, none of that matters. So we're here to help alcoholics and that we should, we should welcome all. I thought that was interesting in, in the pamphlet. So, Debbie, what would you say is the secret to being successful in Alcoholics Anonymous? Um, so, for me, I think 
you know, doing those same things I did when I got here was, you know, going to meetings, reading my big book, pray in the mornings, call my sponsor, all those things. But the secret, I think, for me is is always come down to having a sponsor that I'm accountable to and sponsoring women. And um, that is what keeps me working the steps. It's what keeps it green for me. It's like AA never gets old when I get to uh, take somebody through the steps and relive the steps myself as I'm working through the steps with the sponsee. Um, I mean, that's it's worked for me for the past however many years. And then um, uh, actually working the steps myself. And, and if I'm angry about something or full of fear, I write inventory on it. I was taught that by a very early, you know, my first sponsor was really big on writing inventory and my current sponsor is. And I used to have to read my inventory to groups of women. So it was like, I, you know, my ego was was totally pierced and it was like you don't have a choice we're listening to debbie's inventory tonight you know like surely nobody (laughs) wants to hear this but you know that to me is what if i have a resentment at a sponsee i write inventory on it you know it's that kind of thing but um i don't know there it's it's really it's worked and that doesn't mean i haven't had to get outside help i haven't had experiences and things that you know we're were traumatizing or, or devastating, but I feel like that's, you know, kind of for me been the, the key to the success is just continuing to be involved in, in Alcoholics Anonymous and passing it on to another alcoholic. I don't know how to do this program if I'm not carrying the message in some way like that. All right. Well, there you have it, straight from the old timer on in the group. You heard it here <laughs> first. Yep. The secret is working the steps and helping others. Helping others. How Who about knew? that? Don't so so drink and go to meetings. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah, go to doing I'm doing another ninety and ninety. I'm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sending my gratitude list to my sponsor every morning. Doing my tenth step by a text with eleven guys. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> oh my goodness. Shank, let's move on to meeting shrapnel. All right. What's our first one? Meeting shrapnel number one. Get ready, Debbie. Is move a muscle, change a thought. <laughs> what do you think, Debbie? Uh, okay, I have heard this in meetings. I can't say, I, I honestly don't think I've ever said this. I hope I haven't, but. Um, we hope you haven't, too. I, I I don't know. I think it's like, it, can I act my way into right thinking? That's what it makes me think of. Can I act if I'm, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not really sure. I, I, I don't know how useful this is. It kind of makes me think of therapy or something, which I'm not against therapy, but it's not AA. So. What do you think, Wayne? That's, that's my take. Hey, I'm speechless on this one. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. For the first time. What does what does it mean? Move a muscle, change a thought. It does sound like some psychoanalytical thing. Um I think it's I think it's pretty worthless, actually. I've heard it a few times. Not often, but I've heard it a few times. I've Shank, heard this one a lot, surprisingly. Do you use it? No, no way. Um, I don't know. It just makes me think of like, like I have, like I have the power or something. Hmm. You know, like I'm just gonna get up and start moving. I mean, if that's the if that's the case, then all of these people um, that I've known in Alcoholics Anonymous that have used exercise as their higher power or as the thirteenth step or whatever they should be like their thoughts should be clean (laughs) (laughs) i say scrap it debbie keep her scrapped scrap it please i'm gonna scrap it it's out of here all right what's the next one all right meeting shrapnel number two the steps help me prevent suicide. The traditions help me prevent homicide. Mm-hmm. 
Debbie? I don't know what to say. I don't like I don't like it. I lost a brother to suicide, so I don't like I, I just don't like it. And then the homicide thing, I don't know. I, I just I'm not a fan. Have you heard this one in meetings? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, I think it's because we have to compartmentalize everything. We have to label everything. We have to compartmentalize everything. It makes it safe because not having those structures and those, it, it's just kind of all over the place, but I'm not a fan. This one. Rain? Oh, my goodness. It cracks me up. It brings back uh, a lot of memories of going to some meetings and clubhouses. Some guy gets up. You used to hear, you still hear this one. Uh, Jimmy read how it works. Now I'm going to read why it works. Yes, in the same vein. There's another then, one that's kind of like this, too. There is. Uh, the tradition saved me from myself, and the, they also saved the group from each other or some, something, something like that. Yeah. But, I, but people, guys, this, those old guys would say yeah, the steps help me to prevent suicide. Traditions help me to prevent homicide. <laughs> and I—I uh, don't—I'm—I may have said it first three or four years sober myself, but I don't—I don't think I did. I think it's um, dumb, just like a lot of the other ones we brought on here. I don't know how else to say it. I, and I well, can see how it, it would be offensive to people. It, it just makes it seem like it. So, also, people will say, I'm going to bring it up again, probably until my death. Um, people will say, like, well, I got sober and started working the steps, and my 25 felonies went away. And so, it's like, okay, well, I wasn't properly working the steps. My higher power <laughs> didn't come down and, like, bless me or whatever. So, it just makes me think, like, oh, well, anyone who maybe has dealt with alcoholism, they just – who – have committed suicide have just not done the steps or if you have been committed homicide you didn't work the traditions like to me these things are just like I understand why people will say it so that they can maybe have a little catchy phrase or get some attention or you know maybe I don't know try to reach people but to me instead of reaching people you're you're people are turning around and being like wow this is crazy you know like I have experience with one or both of these things and it's not because of the steps or the traditions or lack thereof yeah I I think we need to there is another one like this it's not exactly what I said a little while ago we need to figure it out but I, I don't I don't think this one's very helpful Debbie you want to keep it or scrap it oh well I was wondering are we going to add the concepts in is the concepts going to prevent Nuclear fallout. Nice. <laughs> hey, we need to send a challenge out to people. So, yeah, we should. We so, what can we figure out? The steps help me to prevent suicide. The traditions help me prevent homicide. The concepts help me to what? Global mm. meltdown. Something. <laughs> Maybe we weren't using the concepts and that's why we had a pandemic. Who knows? <laughs> oh, should have been really be. practicing the concepts. That could be it. Debbie, thanks for the suggestion there. We're gonna to have to figure That's something great. out on that. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna add a third column to that. <laughs> You're gonna keep it or scrap it as is? Oh no. Scrap it, please. I'm gonna scrap it. Shame. It's out of here. All right. Stop Meeting using. shrapnel number three. Suit up and show up. Wow. Ah. <laughs> Maybe that was from that meeting where they all had to wear suits. Exactly. It be, isn't that, it's ironic that that came up, huh? I, where I got sober, there was a, a really old-timer founding member. He would always wear a track suit. Like he would wear, so maybe that suit. Oh, I, that's I don't know. pretty awesome. I, I don't think people he, wear suits anymore. So. No. Mm. Unless they're speaking. <laughs> right. Suit up and show up. 
I understand what it means, okay? But, like, I've also had the argument of, like, quote, women have to wear a dress to speak. I've had that argument so many times. And I'm like, no. And I'm not dressing up for the members in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm dressing up and looking like a recovered member of Alcoholics Anonymous because most speaker meetings are open. And someone's mother, father, husband, wife, the local sheriff or the judge or whomever can come to this meeting so you know I'm signaling like hey yeah I was in prison and now I've taken a shower today and I have on dress pants you know so I look recovered I don't have to wear a dress to do that suit up and show up I'm sure I've used it well, does that oh, mean because, like, back oh, in the day, goodness. most men wore suits to work, and so it's like, get ready to do some work and show up to AA? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure if I used it those first three or four years, I was just parroting what somebody else said. I didn't even realize probably what I was what I was doing. Um, I don't, I think it's, there's, there's no substance to it. There's no, it's, yeah, it's. It's not helpful at all, I don't think. Suit up and show up. There's there's better ways to get people involved than saying that. Get it out of uh, here. What do you is think, Is this Abby? a record? Is this a record? I, I don't like it. I say get rid of it. But is this a record for all three? Well, oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. We're, we're shrapnel assassins. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Seriously. We sh- oh, we maybe scrap- that's the third part to the concepts. Help me not assassinate anyone. <laughs> whoa, there you go. whoa, whoa! There we go. Yeah, there we go. No, we we scrap quite a bit. We've kept okay. we've kept some good ones. We have. I, I say scrap it. I'm I'm, I'm scrapping. Say, I'm scrapping. Shane, it's out of here. Out of here. All right, Debbie. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with us. It's been awesome. Thank you. Yep. And if um, if you're out there listening, we do recommend reading this pamphlet called A Member's Eye View of Alcoholics Anonymous. Regardless of your, uh, your sobriety time and your beliefs or what you've done today or haven't done, it's, it's a really good pamphlet for, for anybody. Uh, that's interested in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he talks about being free in there. And uh, that's what we have found by being members of AA and trying to just do the best we can with the steps and helping others, we've been able to become free. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.